0: 1 Samuel chapter 20, we'll be reading verses 24 through 42. We have the execution of Jonathan's plan by himself and David, and David's transition from a man in the court of the king to a fugitive taking up arms in self defense. Hear now the word of Almighty God, 1 Samuel 20, starting at verse 24. So David hid himself in the field, and when the new moon was come, the king sat him down to eat meat, and the king sat upon his seat as at other times, even upon a seat by the wall, and Jonathan arose, and Abner sat by Saul's side, and David's place was empty. Nevertheless, Saul spake not anything that day, for he thought, something hath befallen him, he is not clean. Surely he is not clean. And it came to pass on the morrow, which was the second day of the month, that David's place was empty. And Saul said unto Jonathan his son, Wherefore cometh not the son of Jesse to meet, neither yesterday nor today? And Jonathan answered Saul, David earnestly asked leave of me to go to Bethlehem, And he said, Let me go, I pray thee, for our family hath a sacrifice in the city, and my brother, he hath commanded me to be there, and now, if I have found favor in thine eyes, let me get away, I pray thee, and see my brethren. Therefore he cometh not unto the king's table. Then Saul's anger was kindled against Jonathan, and and he said unto him, thou son of a perverse, rebellious woman, do not I know that thou hast chosen the son of Jesse to thine own confusion and under the confusion of thy mother, one correction, it's the perverse and rebellious woman. Verse 31, for as long as the son of Jesse liveth upon the ground, thou shalt not be established nor thy kingdom. Wherefore now send and fetch him unto me for he shall surely die. And Jonathan answered Saul his father, and said unto him, Wherefore shall he be slain? What hath he done? And Saul cast a javelin at him to smite him, whereby Jonathan knew that it was determined of his father to slay David. So Jonathan arose from the table in fierce anger, And did eat no meat the second day of the month, for he was grieved for David, because his father had done him shame. And it came to pass in the morning that Jonathan went out into the field at the time appointed with David, and a little lad with him. And he said unto his lad, Run, find out now the arrows which I shoot. And as the lad ran, he shot an arrow beyond him, And when the lad was come to the place of the arrow, which Jonathan had shot, Jonathan cried after the lad and said, Is not the arrow beyond thee? And Jonathan cried after the lad, Make speed, haste, stay not. And Jonathan's lad gathered up the arrows and came to his master. And the lad knew not anything. Only Jonathan and David knew the matter. And Jonathan gave his artillery unto his lad and said unto him, Go, carry them to the city. And as soon as the lad was gone, David arose out of a place toward the south and fell on his face to the ground and bowed himself three times. And they kissed one another and wept one with another until David exceeded. And Jonathan said to David, Go in peace, forasmuch as we have sworn, both of us, in the name of the Lord, saying, The Lord be between me and thee, and between my seed and thy seed forever. And he arose and departed, and Jonathan went into the city. Thus far the reading of God's inspired, inerrant, and infallible word. First Samuel twenty twenty four to the end. May the Lord bless us. In the reading and hearing of it. In the first 23 verses that we read earlier, we have David's complaint to Jonathan and request for help, and then Jonathan's promise to help and their covenant of friendship renewed. Now in verses 24 through 34, we have Jonathan executing the plot, sounding out Saul, his father, and finding that Saul is implacable toward David, that is he cannot be reconciled to him. Verse 24 begins the execution of the plan by both David and Jonathan. Verse 25 informs us that when his father came in, Jonathan arose and Abner sat by Saul's side, perhaps out of respect either for Abner or for his father. Abner was cousin to his father, so he would be his second cousin, one generation removed. Verse 26 tells us things that we otherwise could never know. It tells us, what did Saul think was the reason David wasn't there? Something hath befallen him. He is not clean. Now the Bible is not your ordinary book as we'll consider later. It is the sacred or divine scriptures, writings not of an ordinary or a profane nature, but writings where God the omniscient can tell you things that you could otherwise and I could otherwise have no idea about. What was this man thinking in his heart? Well, God told us. He is clean, unclean, he said. Something hath befallen him and he is not clean. Now it's interesting if you think this through, Saul was clean, at least in a ceremonial way. And so he could partake of this feast of the new moon. Peter Martyr comments, like a hypocrite had kept his body clean from such legal pollutions, but his heart was defiled with malice and hatred. Why does Saul want David there? So that he can murder him. But he's reasoning with himself Well, David isn't here, therefore he must be unclean. Well, what about you, Saul? What do those external washings point you to? What does that external filth show you? That you are filthy and I am filthy inside, not merely externally. Let us learn to see as God sees, even into our own hearts, which we should know in some measure, though we cannot know them fully as God does, since our hearts lie to us, Our hearts are deceitful above every lying thing on the earth. Our heart will lie to us. But so much as God enables us, let us learn to repent of the uncleanness of our hearts and to do all things that God has commanded, not merely as Saul, to be washed externally or to be free from legal pollutions, but rather let us be free from malice and wickedness which defile us. Now the new moon is the first day of the month when the moon is at its smallest port, part. We would call it the crescent moon, that is the new moon. And then from there it waxes larger and larger and then back down to the next new moon. We call this a month. We get our word month from the word moon. Verse 27 was the second day of the month described, the day after the new moon, in other words, one day later. Verse 27 Saul asks Jonathan, wherefore cometh not, does he call him David? No, the son of Jesse. Remember that poor shepherd over there? Jesse, he's just his son. He's not the great beloved, which is what David means. No, he is the son of Jesse. Doeg the Edomite in chapter 22, verse 9, will use the same phrase of David. Nabal, the fool who hates David, will use the same phrase in chapter 25, verse 10. It is a scornful name for David, the son of Jesse. Jonathan refers to him as David, verse 28. David earnestly asked leave of me to go to Bethlehem. No, he didn't. In fact, he told you to say that. And Saul sees right through the lie. This was a lie that Jonathan told. And further, verse 29, Our family hath a sacrifice in the city, and my brother he hath commanded me. Notice there, there's a little bit of embellishment, possibly in response to what Saul calls him, the son of who? Jesse. So who does he mention? Does he mention Jesse? No. His brother, who was part of the army of Saul when we read about Goliath. His brother commanded him, He has a sacrifice. He has some religious duties. And perhaps Jonathan thinking on his feet shifts gears from Jesse to now his brother. And how does Saul respond? Does he buy the lie? No, he doesn't. His anger is kindled against Jonathan. He's filled with rage and wrath. The lie was almost immediately detected and moved to anger and even if we said well some say honesty is the best policy even if we just considered it from a political point of view was it wise to tell this lie no it wasn't he flew into the rage over it and notice in his rage his words to injure and destroy thou son of the perverse rebellious woman We have a phrase like this concerning a female dog being the son of one. This one is rather hurtful. Now, who else was Jonathan the son of? The man who said it. The man who said it. The son of Saul, as well as this woman. But he doesn't want to think about that. Why? Because he's in a rage. Do people think when they're in rage? Wait a second. He's my son, too. What does that make me? His words flow forth as nonsense with slander and reproach. A man ruled by his passion, the passion of anger. Franciscus Junius comments, thus this hypocrite accuseth others being most worthy of blame himself. By the way, that's our tendency. When we're most worthy of blame, what do we find ourselves doing? Pointing out at everybody else. Why? Well, I don't want you to look at me. So if I can find that you are the son of a perverse and rebellious woman, I don't have to think about my perversity, my rebellion against God, my wickedness, my evil deeds. Junius goes on, and thus he spareth neither wife nor son, but revileth them both shamefully. Let us beware of losing our temper. Lest we say words we may later regret. Often our tempers bring out what's actually inside of us. Oh, I didn't mean to say that. Well, yeah, you did. You just don't want to have people hearing what you mean to say. This perhaps is what he thought of his wife and what he thought of his son. Do not, I know, that thou hast chosen the son of Jesse to thine own confusion And under the confusion of thy mother's nakedness, verse 30. Again, referring to David in this uh, insulting or scornful way as the son of Jesse. And when he says, do not I know, this is a rhetorical question. Well, maybe you know, maybe you don't know. The point is, Saul is communicating by means of a question. He's making an assertion, but he uses the form of a question. That's not illegitimate. But in this case... The answer is, yes, I know that you've chosen the son of Jesse to thine own confusion. You will not become king. That's what he's saying. He will confuse all your hopes. You'll be set aside. David will become king and you will be his servant. And furthermore, Saul says, this is to the confusion of thy mother's nakedness. As if to say, you're not even begotten of me. Your mom went off with some other man. You have no loyalty to me and to my kingdom. You want to see David as king. What kind of son is that? Like a bastard, like begotten of fornication, like your mom went off and did something naughty and wicked. Verse 31. As long as the son of Jesse liveth upon the ground, thou shalt not be established, nor thy kingdom Saul is a mass of contradictions. He wants his son to become king, but what does he do when questioned by his son? He throws a javelin at him. Well, what's a javelin going to do to his son? Kill him! You want him to become heir and you're trying to kill him? Does that make any sense? No. No. As long as this man, the son of Jesse... As long as he lives upon the earth, you have no hope of becoming king. The perverted love of Saul for his son. His love for his son is divorced from scripture. It is not truly love. It is merely self-love that Saul has. He loves himself. He wants his kingdom established. And he wants to see it passed on to his son, Jonathan. He doesn't actually love Jonathan. He hates him. He insults his mother, and through her he insults him. Sin, then, is insanity. The deeper into sin we go, the deeper we must go into irrationality and into error. Men who profess themselves to be wise are in that very act turned into fools, we're told in Romans 1. Oh, we don't need God in order to think. Oh, yes, you do, actually. And to abandon God is to abandon the basic principle of rationality, which is that man is created in the image of a higher intelligence, a higher order of intelligence who made everything around him, and therefore everything around him is intelligible. In other words, you can't even do some kind of empirical investigation unless unless there's a God. Much less draw up a syllogism A is B, B is C, therefore A is C. You can't even do that without God. And so, men, when they go further and deeper into sin, have to become more and more irrational, tell more and more lies, deceive more and more people, and be deceived themselves, as we shall see from 2 Timothy 3. Saul is insane. Saul pretends to love Jonathan and tries to murder him and insults his mother. Saul wants his son to be king, but he has no love for him. Rather, he has spewed out hatred and venom. Let us shake off the power of the devil. Remember what he is? A liar? A destroyer? He would have us forsake the proper mode of thinking. To believe fables rather than to believe God and his word, his law, his truth, the attributes of God, the works of God, the worship of God. Turn your back on those things, he says, and you shall be as gods. You will be wise. No, we shall be fools if we abandon our God. He says that David, this is Saul, he says that he shall surely die, verse 31. Literally, he is the son of death, one devoted to destruction. The whole attribute, the whole lineage of David is one that deserves to die, the son of death. He is not worthy to stand upon the earth. Why? Why is it that David is not worthy to live, Saul? we'll figure it out. I want to be king. I want my son to be king. I don't care what God says, what Samuel said. I don't care if he's been anointed. I don't, know if, I don't care if it's prophesied by Jacob that Judah would have the kingship. I want to be king. And don't take it from me. Saul's lawless desires must be satisfied. He worships himself, not God. And so Jonathan asks him, Very mildly stated question, wherefore shall he be slain? Show me the grounds on which we're going to kill David. Bring the evidence. Now remember, Jonathan has done this once before, hasn't he? Wherefore shall he be slain? What has he done? What sort of thing do you find fault with that's worthy of death? It worked then. It doesn't work now. Saul has gone beyond the the bridge of no return. There's no turning back for Saul at this point. Now the road goes down, and it goes quick, and it goes down into destruction. Quicker and quicker. 19.5, we saw the same sort of questioning by Jonathan. Saul has turned the corner. He's now on the broad and declining road to perdition. His conscience will no longer reprove him. It's too late. He's going to grovel on the floor of a witch. Seeking advice from the devil, that's where he's going to end, and then he will die in his sins. Verse 33 informs us that Saul cast a javelin at Jonathan to smite him. You know what the devil thinks when men ask for justice? How unjust of you. You know what the devil says when men speak the truth? You're a liar. When someone says David should die, the mere suggestion that there needs to be justice means you should die now too. You see that? Now you must die, Jonathan. It's a capital crime to ask why I should kill him. Jonathan then arose from the table in fierce anger, in the heat of anger, disturbed in his mind and body by this series of events. Jonathan then faithfully reports the events to David as they had agreed to in verses 35 through 42. Verse 35 says that Jonathan went out into the field at the time appointed with David. A faithful friend keeps his engagements and his appointments, shows kindness to his friend. Verses 36 and 37, Jonathan faithfully encrypts and delivers his message, a crypt, In Greek is a kryptos, a thing that is covered or hidden. Things buried under the earth in crypts. When something is encrypted, it means no one knows it except those on the inside. Those who have the secret password to unlock the secret, which David and Jonathan both have and the lad lacks. This is an, an encrypted message. Make haste, or excuse me, make speed, haste, and stay not... Jonathan says to his lad, he's commanding his young man to clear the coast. Get out of here. Go get the artillery. Move into the city. Go. Make haste. Hurry up. Don't stay. Don't stand around, in other words. Make speed. Don't be sluggish. Haste. Hurry on the business. Let's get this done. He says it three different ways. Seize the day, the strategic moment. Redeem the time. The days are evil. Let us learn to do so. Tempus fugit, the ancients used to say, time flies. It escapes us. It runs away. Before you know it, time is done. And then what? Then you're judged. Time slips away from us. What does God call us to do in light of this? Make speed, haste, stay not. Don't waste your life. Don't waste your time. Buy up the opportunities. Redeem the time. That's literally what that means. Buy it up like a merchant buys up his goods. Get it quick because it's going to be gone before you know it. Jonathan seizes the opportunity. And in order to seize the opportunity, the lad needs to go. He needs to hurry. He needs to get it done. Let us make the most of what God in his providence has afforded to us. Let us not idle away our days and our time. Our lives are precious. We must grab up what we can in God's providence to do his will, to walk in wisdom for his glory. The unknowing lad is then sent back to the city to ensure the secrecy of these communications that follow. They kiss and weep together until David exceeded. David will be driven from his homeland. He will be severed from his beloved friend and also from his wife. He will now be a fugitive and an outlaw. Peter Martyr comments, His greatest grief of all was to be a stranger among the people of God like to be exiled from his own country. Do you remember what David says in chapter 26, verse 19? He says, you've driven me out this day from abiding in the inheritance of the Lord, saying what? Go, serve other gods. That's his greatest grief. Mm. You want me to stop coming and worshiping God and listening to his law, singing his praise, composing his psalms, teaching them in the temple, in the tabernacle, you want me to leave? But God will give him peace. Jonathan says, go in peace. For as much as we have sworn, both of us in the name of the Lord, the true religion, swearing and faithful friendship, the fear of God, these things lead to peace. Because though we have trouble in our lives, in our bodies, in our names, in our estates, what do we have all along? You have a quiet conscience. You have a conscience that approves of what you do. David will not have peace in this life. He will have peace with God. He will have peace of conscience greater than any peace that this life could ever afford. David will have a continual source of tranquility and peace, namely a conscience reconciled to God, submitted to God's commandments. And thus far the exposition of 1 Samuel chapter 20.